Welcome to the ITAM Review Podcast, news, reviews and resources for ITAM, SAM and software licensing professionals. Hello everyone, welcome to this podcast. We hope you're well, wherever you're listening from. My name is AJ Witt from the ITAM Review and I'm joined today by Mike Corey and Dean Bolton. They're co-founders of License Fortress. Uh, License Fortress provide Oracle compliance management services and audit protection. So we're going to take you through what's current in Oracle licensing right now, how best to approach managing your Oracle estate, be that on-premises, in the cloud, or whether whether it's hybrid or whatever. So uh, welcome, Michael and Dean. Um, Michael, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Sure. So uh, the quick thing on my background, I'm the original Oracle Press author. I'm a past president of the International Oracle Users Groups. I'm a past Microsoft Most Valuable Professional. I'm a current Oracle Ace. I'm a current VMware V expert. Uh, and it's a pleasure to be here today. Thanks, Mike. That's, that's a pretty impressive resume right there. So uh, thank you for your, uh, sharing your expertise today. And uh, Dean? Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Dean Bolton. I'm the chief architect and co-founder at License Fortress. I've been working with Oracle for uh, over 20 years now. Um, started as a DBA on 8i. I'm currently an Oracle certified master, Oracle ACE associate, and a VMware V expert as well. Cool. So what, what I'm picking out, out of this is, is that you guys have, have, have done the job with Oracle as well as, you know, you, you're, you're not licensed management experts. You, you're, you're hands-on deep in the weeds techies, uh, as well as uh, doing this other stuff that you do. It's frightening to say, but I realize I've been working with Oracle over 33 years at this point. <laughs> yeah, I, I spent over 20 years in, in the IBM world, and uh, I've been out of that for about four or five years now. And I think, wow, where did that part of my life go? <laughs> um, it's, it's strange with technology, isn't it? Because you just kind of get on that schedule of new releases coming along and new versions of stuff. It's like suddenly this big chunk of your working life has kind of gone into one product or, or one technology. And I'm, I'm sure that's the case across IT in a way. You know, what's really interesting, if you think about it, is most technologies have a life cycle. And after about 20 years, they wane and go away. Hmm. But databases are fundamental to managing information. And unlike a traditional technology, databases, in the case of Oracle, stayed current, you know, at this point, you know, over 30 years. Yeah. Uh, and is going strong. I mean, we, we're seeing more applications for database use, not less. Yeah, that was that was the big thing with Oracle, wasn't it? Suddenly, because I, I, I was looking at their historical share price, and um, you look at the big uptick they took in sort of the dawn of the internet age, suddenly everyone needed needed a database. And whilst they were not necessarily the, the fastest to move, they still had that you know, pre, this is going way back to the dot-com boom, uh, it's just vertical, isn't it? Um, and then they've kind of that really kind of helped them grow very rapidly from being a, a back-end enterprise world to um, you know a whole new whole new set of uh, usage requirements, I suppose. Well, if you really think about it, in the early days, Oracle was not in many ways the technology leader, right? Mm-hmm. Role-level locking came from competitors. Uh, two-phase commits came from competitors. But what Oracle realized early on was it's not the database, it's the applications, Mm -hmm. right? 
they don't get me wrong. I think they, they've got the finest relational database engine in the world. It's phenomenal. It works. It performs. But when you marry that with the breadth of applications they have, that's a pretty powerful message to the marketplace, and it's pretty hard to beat them. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, it's probably a good point to get into where they are currently. I mean, we've just seen their their year-end results. Um, what's your take on, on, on where they are right now? So from my perspective, I'm not surprised uh, to see that COVID has impacted Oracle like it's impacted everyone else. And they're seeing as their customers are struggling, right, as everybody's struggling with dealing mm -hmm. with the new way of the world, uh, their revenue is off. And that's frankly not a surprise. Uh, what, what are you seeing, Dean? Well, I mean, I think it's uh, kind of the, the same trend that we've seen for a while. So, uh, you know, their hardware numbers are down. That's that's no surprise because of their, um, you know, desire to move away from that whole space, right? They, they've said Spark's going to be decommissioned in, you know, two decades. And so I think that kind of was a signal that, that they're moving away from that. Um, they've been trending towards cloud and subscription models for a while now. Um, I, I think they're growth is not exactly where they want it to be. Um, they'd definitely like to be uh, included with some of those other players on the, the cloud space, but I think they are um, gaining some traction there. Um, from, from our perspective, our customers that are running on the cloud are having um, much better experience than what they did, you know, four or five years ago. Um, it's, it's becoming a, a viable solution that we can, we can recommend for a lot of customers in there. So I think they're making progress uh, on that front. It's just probably not at the, the pace they would like or, you know, the street would like. Yeah. Well, you know, D Dean, you bring up a really excellent point, which is the cloud is a wonderful addition as long as you have a plan. Too often we see people say, I just want to go to the cloud because that's what they're hearing from Gartner. That's what they're hearing from Forrester. And they really don't think about how to game change their business to really leverage the cloud. It's not about being in the cloud. It's about leveraging the technology of the cloud so that gives you a business differentiation. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, I noticed that Larry quite sort of, uh, Larry Addison, um, co-founder and still CTO, I think, of, um, of Oracle Net currently. He's, he's, he's kind of stepped back into the front line. Um, I saw him saying in the, on the earnings call, actually calling out just that, that a lot of their customers are just not ready to go to the cloud yet. And he was um, speaking about Oracle, Auto, Oracle Autonomous Database um, becoming better on-prem, being available as an on-prem solution for all these customers who, who just aren't ready to go or maybe can't go for regulatory reasons or, or, or whatever. Um, you know, that, that's, that's a key part of their growth, isn't it? That they're still focused on, on that on-prem world. I think everybody's really kind of figuring out how to marry the, the cloud offering with on-prem. Um, you know, every, the, the public cloud came out first and it was great because it was uh, frankly very easy, right? All you needed was a credit card or a corporate credit card and you could get, um, you know, this IT department, shadow IT up and running in, in a matter of minutes. Um, and then as it grew, you're starting to see um, the impact of that, right? So people uh, are finally wanting to use it, but now they've got to get it blessed by risk, um, security and compliance side of things. And, and that's where uh, you know, it, it's becoming a little bit more of a problem and you're seeing everybody shift back to this. Okay. You can still use our public cloud, but we're going to deliver it in this on-prem manner. Uh, Amazon had it with their, or has it, I should say with their RDS at customer basically. 
um, and Oracle with their uh, everything at customer, whether it's it's cloud or Exadata or whatever the case may be, are doing the same thing. And it, it's uh, it's actually been really interesting to see um, the adoption of that, the focus on that, and then the response from uh, from other uh, vendors to that as well. We're definitely seeing um, some of our partners uh, take notice of, of these offerings and try to uh, respond in a, in a quick manner. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm guessing that so many of Oracle's massive accounts are going to be sort of most of the, most of the Fortune 50 or so, aren't they? So those massive organizations, aren't, you know, they've, they've got the on-premise, they've, they've got the expertise in-house to think, well, no, we're going to run this on-premise anyway. We don't need to go to the cloud. It's not, you know, cloud has always been driven from the bottom in terms of um, SMEs and, 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 and so on, hasn't it? It's, it's not a, enterprise is always more wary. Certainly the, the organization I used to work for were incredibly wary of going anywhere near cloud. They had a, an absolute policy saying no cloud for anything that was business critical. And that was mm -hmm. only two years ago. Well, and, and then the other thing to bring up is, 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 as Dean said, I call it the credit card IT, using Dean's term, mm. is these organizations learn very quickly. Yes, uh, they were able to sidestep their IT organizations and get out to the cloud, but they created huge security risks. And more importantly, it wasn't cheaper because, frankly, instead of turning off these virtual machines or shutting down the cloud when they didn't need it, people just sort of left it out there and one day they got this bill and said, what the heck is going on here? So cloud is a wonderful addition to your uh, infrastructure, but like anything, it's gotta be managed or you're gonna get yourself into a lot of trouble. And so you are seeing this emerging role that I uh, like to call the cloud IT keeper who manages that relationship with the cloud so that it isn't a surprise at the end of the month. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's the same old problem. It's 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 the same old problems in the sense that, uh, I mean, I I used to be, be, be an IT asset manager looking at our on-prem data center, and we found 30, 35, 40 percent of VMs powered off, not being used, still sitting there. Okay, consuming some disk space, um, maybe some allocations, but those weren't really costing us anything. But if you have that same kind of level of untidiness applied to the cloud of course you're paying every second of every day for those vms that are sat there consuming space and so on so yes you need to have that that governance around it and if you get your cloud house in order then you probably end up getting your in-house in order too i would think um I, just going back to oracle's results and performance i mean it seems key the thing i took out of it was they've been particularly heavily hit because some of their key customers are transportation, hospitality, and so on, um, retail as well. Those three sectors obviously have been massively hit by, by the pandemic. I think that's a very valid point, which is right. And as those customers are tightening their belts, Oracle is going to be a natural byproduct of they're going to really reconsider their purchase with Oracle or any other vendors, not a reflection of Oracle. It's just a re reflection of the COVID-19 world. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I recall we, we used um, uh, Micros, uh, which is a, a recent um, uh, Oracle acquisition, probably two or three years ago now. Uh, Micros was used for, for all the tills, all, all the point of sale and so on. And we were paying a decent amount of money every six months to Oracle for support for those things. And we were never calling upon, never using that support, you know, but we needed to have it there because 
it was so critical to our business. It was our, you know, our, our shop front, effectively, um, in the physical world. Um, I'm sure that, you know, with, in the case of the industry I came from, the cruise line industry, um, you know, they're still not sailing. They're still going to be out for six months. I would imagine that they're going to spend some time thinking, looking at everything they're doing and thinking, well, is there a better way of doing that front end for us other than Oracle? Um, so an interesting problem for them. I think the outcome is that their revenue is going to be down for the rest of the year. Um, it's going to impact their growth and so on. And, and what does that mean for Oracle customers? Well, I think, I mean, I think COVID-19 um, just accelerated this. I think Oracle uh, has known for a while that this um, uh, licensing and support model um, that has, you know, sustained them for 40 years uh, might not be the, the way going forward. And they've been trying to move to this subscription just for the, the reason you talked about there, AJ, that, you know, people are looking at it, they have to pay for the licensing up front, and then what's the value of the support? And with third-party support offerings out there, um, you know, customers are, are looking at that and taking uh, alternative routes or dropping support entirely. Um, you know, that's, that's something we bring up to our customers to, to have them take a look at it, because if, you, uh, if you're paying 22% plus uh, adjustments each year, every four years, you're buying the licenses again. So that, that can be a a pretty significant uh, a cost factor that you have to take a look at. Um, what Oracle, I think, is trying to do is move to, um, if you stop paying us, you stop getting the right to use the license with this subscription model. Um, they're doing it with their, their database. It's obviously kind of embedded into how the cloud works. Um, but then they're also moving for um, their ERP cloud, um, their middleware cloud, their NetSuite offerings, trying to move everything to this uh, subscription model where um, you know, it, it kind of takes away the flexibility that you might have as a customer to drop support or go to a third-party support um, provider. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. That, that, yeah. That makes sense. Um, so, I, I, one other thing that came up fairly well, probably towards the end of last year as well, is this um, partnership with um, with VMware. And uh, once again, I, I was sort of researching for this podcast and. They're making a big deal out of this ability for uh, people to, or organizations, I should say, to shift their on-premise VMware estate direct into the Oracle Cloud. So this is, this is Oracle Cloud, not so much as Oracle Database Cloud. This is Oracle as a cloud provider, as the same as AWS or Azure. Um, I find it interesting, given the longstanding uh, difficulties between VMware and Oracle, that this thing's on offer. I um, wonder if you have any thoughts on that. I mean, I think it's a it's a very interesting partnership. Um, you know, we we're we're partners with VMware um, for uh, product purposes in there. So we we've, we've seen a lot of these hybrid offerings uh, come out with you know the Amazon uh, Amazon Cloud, sorry VMware Cloud on Amazon, uh, mm -hmm. Azure VMware Solution, Oracle Cloud VMware Solution. Um, very interesting office offerings for customers to allow them to um, make use of these cloud offerings in a efficient and effective way. Um, Oracle's one I think can make a lot of sense too. If you're running a VMware shop that has a lot of a lot of Oracle in there, um, stretching that into the Oracle cloud with this Oracle cloud VMware solution uh, can have a lot of advantages for you. There's there's a lot of cost savings that can happen if you. Um, do that hybrid cloud and the Oracle cloud offering properly. Um, it, it's not publicly available yet. So we're waiting to kind of see 
um, what the the end result is with the actual bits for some licensing questions that we have. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that I think is is really interesting around there is um, what actually came out with that announcement uh, at Open World last year, where they you know explicitly stated that now VMware is supported. Um, they took away that uh, uncertainty that had been out there, even though. Um, you know, we didn't think it was very much of an uncertainty around Oracle being able to request customers um, recreating issues on physical uh, if they had an issue on VMware. So that, that's gone, which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, they explicitly stated that this partnership has no impact on licensing. Uh, and so that part of it still leaves a, a huge gap and a huge amount of confusion out there um, for customers. And, and we think uh, um, we think that that's a little bit unfortunate. Uh, it would have been nice if they, they had addressed that, but um, um, mm -hmm. that part of it is unchanged, whether you're in this VMware solution, uh, you know, or cloud VMware solution on-prem uh, or in, in the cloud. Um, so there's still that, that same issue around there, around Oracle licensing, specifically uh, Oracle licensing on VMware. All right. The other thing that, that's worth mentioning here is hybrid cloud up until this point has been, oh, I run AWS hybrid cloud, so I can run AWS in the north, AWS in the east, AWS in the west. I can go to the IBM hybrid cloud. I can run IBM in the north, the east, and the west. But a true hybrid cloud done properly should be the ability to say, look, I'm getting a better price out of Azure. Let me spin up over Azure. Oh, they just raised their price. Let me go spin these things up over on uh, the Oracle cloud well, with a VMware infrastructure behind the scenes, you now have the ability to shop multiple public clouds in the future. And that's a huge game changer. And a good litmus test of this was Apple. Apple was spending a billion dollars estimated a year, uh, if I remember right, on uh, main, being on the AWS cloud and then had some huge outages mm -hmm. that put them out of business one point uh, a day, one point they had all the, uh, for five, six hours. And then they struck a deal with uh, another cloud, public cloud provider, just to get some level of redundancy. But with yeah. VMware behind the scenes for the plumbing of these public clouds, you now would have that capability to have a true hybrid cloud leveraging the public clouds against each other. Right, right, that's great. Yeah, yeah, it, um, which is kind of what you want as a customer. I mean, you, you've got to have that resilience. So that's kind of the whole point of going to the cloud. You would think is, well, we don't need to worry about that physical box in our data center over in Boston falling over because it's 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 in someone else's data center. Well, of course, there are still those issues, aren't there? And, and, and they pop up from time to time. I know Microsoft back in March had quite a major outage, for example, with Azure. And we've seen actually throughout this pandemic that, a lot of cloud providers have been struggling for capacity. Um, uh, you know, features have been switched off and, and, and things have been slowed down. And, and indeed, um, I mean, Zoom, I saw recently, um, Zoom have, uh, have contracted with Oracle for cloud capacity, haven't they? I don't know whether you saw that one. I, I thought it was really funny because uh, then very shortly, another thing came out from AWS saying, well, no, Zoom really runs on us. But I thought it was very smart of Oracle to take full advantage of that as a marketing opportunity. And by the way, if you're Zoom, you should be on more than one public cloud. Yeah, 
yeah yeah especially now they're, they're pretty much the fabric of society right now so uh it's important that it's important that they're working and it, um it's keeping industry going so um yeah um so i mean that's going going back to dean's point around uh yes oracle now being supported on vmware that's a big tick in the box for a lot of organizations that need to be able to prove that they're running a supported software but equally they still haven't cleared up the age-old um vmware oracle virtualization capacity licensing conundrum which i i guess is at least one part of what you do uh for your um your customers with, with, with license force should, should we go in and talk around that that subject a little for um for a while you won't hear any complaints from us <laughs> good so I, the obvious question they ask is what's going to happen with covid 19 and do we have any litmus test or any indication of what's going to happen hmm. and we frankly we do because we know what happened the last time there was a major recession Companies like Oracle got hit with revenue and were looking for ways to generate revenue. And we know that the pace of Oracle audits increased. Yeah. And so our expectation out of this is that the pace of Oracle audits will increase. And it's no surprise because Gartner documented a, a while back that vendor imposed and revenue motivated audits are increasing for organizations of all sizes and industries. And so frankly, we think COVID-19 is going to accelerate Oracle audits in the marketplace. Yeah, yeah, we, we certainly saw. I think it was from Forrester as well, just a couple of weeks back, uh, said much the same thing. And this was this was looking at the software market con constricting by a sort of six seven percent this year, and ways that um, organisations could address that. And top of the list was license compliance. Um, and another case in point, um, we saw at the start of this year, Autodesk. Uh, who are busy trying to move to a subscription model, calling out the level of income they were getting from their compliance activities. And it was pretty big. I, I forget the exact figure. It was in something like 40% or something. It was a big chunk of revenue that they were driving straight from license compliance audits. And and so I, I guess that's that's still very much the case with Oracle. And we should expect to see that coming down the line. So so what should we what should we be what should we be doing around this? Are there any particular impacts I wonder around the fact that we've gone to remote working are there things that would potentially be a compliance concern around those things around remote um, for the, the the core technology products that Oracle has tended to to audit so far yeah. um, <laughs> you know I don't think as much right those are really business critical applications they haven't been at headquarters in a number of years, in most cases, you're running that stuff in a uh, a data center or in the cloud, uh, in a in a colo, something to that effect. So I doubt that's changed. However, um, we are seeing uh, um, there's there's been noise for a couple of years around uh, Java audits. Uh, we've heard that that Oracle has started to to start with those audits. Um, mm -hmm. A couple uh, couple audits that we've heard of have actually started uh, in there. And that's one where remote working could be impacted in there, right? As you, um, if you don't have a, a company laptop, you have a, a personal one or you bring your own device, something like that. Um, that's one where, uh, you know, that, that remote work could make a difference in there and have an impact on compliance and, and um, uh, licensing costs for, for a company. 
Yeah, yeah. But the other thing that I'd like to add to that, when you're looking to figure out the proper way to license, it's counterintuitive, but it actually makes sense. You really shouldn't go to Oracle or to someone who makes your income reselling licenses because they're not necessarily, their interests are not aligned with yours. Or the way I like to say it is, look, the customer goal of driving down costs is in direct conflict with the software vendor protecting their revenue stream. And so we see people get themselves into a lot of trouble going to the vendor to say, hey, am I licensed properly? Or going to the people they bought the licenses from, because many times what we see <clears throat> is they're getting overcharged, right? They're, 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 they're too rich in licenses that frankly they don't need. Yep, yep. Yeah, I, I, so having, having done that job and I was always pretty wary of going through a reseller um and you know that they'll say things like oh yes our, our license advisory team is separate to um our sales team um but no you're still ultimately all, all reporting into the um same balance sheet aren't you so um yeah you have to you have to be careful around who you're taking your advice from i guess and frankly that's how license fortress came around one of the things we did is our customers kept coming to us asking us for help and when we went out and we looked at the marketplace we saw that there were two ways to solve this problem mm -hmm. you got a software asset management tool we saw a lot of them were old technology very few of them did real-time license compliance monitoring and alerting but ultimately they didn't really advise you on how to use the license or what's the proper way to license and then we saw the licensed consultants many of them charging by the hour many of them giving bad advice or over to, or, or because they were really making money off their licenses and ultimately there was no guarantee they gave you bad advice you bought way too many licenses or frankly you followed the advice but there was no financial guarantee or nothing behind it uh, and so, frankly, Dean, you should comment because you, it was your idea to put the two pieces together. Yeah, we just really, as Mike said, saw a, a hole in how people were addressing it. And, and we've been helping customers with, with audits on Oracle for a decade now. Um, and we really just saw that what they weren't asking for was help around an audit. Um, it happens, um, but if you're prepared, it can be relatively painless. What they're really asking for was, you know, how do I buy this product and use it in the most effective way? Um, how do I put in, uh, you know, as many controls as possible to avoid compliance issues? And then uh, how to avoid any of these unknown liabilities that can be, um, you know, obviously significant, um, a lot of times more than the, the cost of the initial purchase, and sometimes more than the entire IT budget for the year. Yeah. Um, and that's really what, what caused us um, to, to develop License Fortress uh, and bring it to the market. And, and uh, in just a short time, we've seen a, a good deal of success in that and uptake. So I think we were right in terms of um, the opportunity and what customers were looking for. I, I, I think it's, it's a very good point that you make because you know, I would sit there and make my best guess um, around a licensing, a licensing position and these are big contracts, you know, I, our IT budget was seven figures, um, probably, yeah, at least seven figures. Um, and we were, you know, they were relying on me to make the right decision, um, which does lead to quite a few sleepless nights when you're a, a software asset manager or, or, or an IT asset manager, as I'm sure much of our audience will, will, will agree. It's, it's, it's a high risk job that you're doing. 
and I would quite often say, look, this is my opinion. This is what you're paying me to say, uh, as in, in terms of, you know, that's my job. Um, but you should really go off and check that, you, you know, verify that that's correct because these are big table stakes we're dealing with here. Um, and I guess that's where, yes, very much that, that offering from you guys comes in the fact that you're standing behind it with, with cold, hard dollars. Um, yeah. In fact, you just said it best and that's what people love because there's a, one of the biggest things in the marketplace that happens in Oracle is Oracle enforces policy like it's a contractual obligation. Yeah. And so if you had a three node Oracle, you know, uh, system and Oracle ran in node A and never ran in node B or C and you were running VMware, Oracle would come along and say, you forgot or you did not license node B or C. And in fact, you owe us, you know, $20 million plus back support, but nothing in the contract actually says that. Um, and so we would come back and say, look, you only ran Oracle in node A. According to your contract, you only need to pay for node A. Uh, and in fact, you do not have to pay this big LMS bill or Oracle license management services bill because that's not in your contract. Yeah. Yeah. And it's much easier, um, I think, for you guys to say that than an in-house IT asset manager because you are, you're making a pretty big bet because you're, you're the one that's going to go into bat against Oracle, Oracle's um, LMS team, or, or whatever they're called. I, I know they've they've been renamed, haven't they? They're no longer LMS, but um, um, you know, you're the ones going up there to negotiate that deal and and, and play hardball. Um, uh, and it's easier in a way to do, you know to do that with a consultancy with a with a third party, you know, some someone with the backing behind them. But if they came to us before the audit happened hmm. and bought our service, we would actually pay for the lawyers to defend them. And if it went to a court of law and the judgment came against us, we would pay for the judgment. So that's how we're really different than everyone else through a combination of our software. We feel so comfortable with our determination that we actually back it with a full guarantee. Hmm. If you get to us before you being audited. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the point in there, AJ, that you really picked up on is that, um, because we do this all the time, we're doing this, you know, multiple times per month or year, right? We have audits uh, always ongoing that we're helping our customers with and defending them against. As Mike mentioned, we've partnered with law firms that specialize in this, where they are focused on uh, just these IP cases and audit defense cases, whether it's in the US, the UK, the EU, wherever the case may be, we found um, firms that specialize this and worked with them on these cases all the time. So we're, um, you know, pretty well versed and, and pretty fluent in that. And I'm not sure um, it's it's entirely fair for uh, for um, employees of a company, uh, whether they're in the IT asset management side or the the legal counsel side, uh, unless you're at some of the you know the largest companies uh, out there, to be as focused on this and have have the reps that you would need to be able to feel comfortable. Uh, in making some of these uh, assessments and, and being able to stand behind it um, in there. But yeah. it's always changing, Dean. That's the problem, right? In their yep. defense, it's constantly changing. How do they possibly do their day job and then keep up exactly. with all the changes? Yep. Unless you're 100% focused on this like we are, um, it becomes very difficult to keep up with it because Oracle will drop changes 
just out of the blue. Yeah, um, yeah, we, I, I certainly saw that in in my time. I remember when they changed the um, the pricing for Azure and AWS. Um, mm-hmm. uh, that came in sort of pretty much straight, straight off the bat, very quickly, um, very little notice. And yeah, it's we have so much to do as as, as IT asset managers that quite often you take out your ULA perhaps. And you think, oh, great! I don't need to look. At, I don't need to look at Oracle for another eighteen months, two years, maybe two and a half years, because I've done the renewal. It, we can just let it manage itself now. And I, of course, that isn't the case, um, because as we know, you know, you, you, you need to be managing this stuff day to day, and it's finding the time to do that, and um, and also having keeping up with the expertise level. Um, we have a whole bunch of stuff on the ITAM review around Oracle licensing. Um, uh, we continue to add to that library. It is pretty much our most popular topic alongside Microsoft. Um, and I think partly that says more about Oracle being uh, harder to manage than Microsoft. Obviously, Microsoft gets used by pretty much every company in the world. Uh, so that's why they're popular. But um, Oracle is next up in, on our list. Um, and it's down to this complexity and ever-changing landscape. But the nice thing is that once you get the Oracle's under management and you take the fear of an audit away, people become very happy Oracle customers because the technology is rock solid. It works, it performs, it scales. Yeah, yeah. We, um, you know, um, my previous employer went through a unpleasant experience with Oracle back at the start of the 2010s, I think it was. So, so ancient history these days. Um, but the outcome of that was get off Oracle. You know, we've, we've, we've been caught, we've given them some money, it was unple- unpleasant. Now we're going to rip it out of our infrastructure. And they spent maybe two or three years doing that. Um, not an easy thing to suddenly swap from one database provider to another. And that was also very unnecessary. You know, if they'd been managing it up front, they were happy with Oracle as a, as a platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the contractual customer service vendor management bit that they weren't happy with. I mean, we are not a, uh, a representative <laughs> sample at all. We hear that all the time, though, yeah. um, is, is you go through a bad experience and, and you want to just rip it out. But as you said, that's not easy. If you're just running the database, you know, for, for testing and everything, we kind of estimate, um, and these numbers might be low, but we estimate you know, three to six months per environment and about $5 million. Uh, if you're running an application, um, you know, you're looking at 12 to 18 months and closer to $20 million to get rid of that uh, in a uh, controlled manner. So you're right. It is very sticky. Mm-hmm. It is not easy to get off of. Um, but, you know, Mike's been working on Oracle for you know over 30 years. Uh, I've been doing it for over 20 years. Uh, the product is rock solid. And, and uh, we, we still think it's one of the, the best options out there. Um, you know, Mike has a little bit of a toe on the, the Microsoft side of things. So we go back and forth about which RDBMS is, is better on, on different issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but those two are really far and away uh, above for, for um, any uh, true RDBMS. And, you know, Microsoft and Oracle have spent uh, millions of person hours and billions of dollars developing that. Um, you know, you, you can say you want to go to an open source option or a NoSQL option. Um, it, it sounds good when you get into the details, that might be a little bit different. Um, and so the, the products themselves really do what they're supposed to do. They are, they're fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. You just need to, to have a handle on it so it doesn't get out of control and cause these 
uh, unknown liabilities um, for, for companies that can cause the, the issues on the customer side and the, the pricing side of things. Yeah, great, great. I, I, j j just to wrap up today, I'm, I'm wondering whether, do you think Oracle will ever change this, this quite adversarial approach? I'm thinking that if you think about IBM, now IBM, uh, particularly in the US, you can expect to be audited every three years if you're a large IBM customer. But IBM has now got this new IASP program, which kind of gives you this kind of licensing managed service uh, through a partner. Um, do you think Oracle are going to carry on with this adversarial approach? There seems to be a bit of an outlier now, really. Yeah, um, I mean, I think I, I think what you'll see is the the, the dollars are going to drive that, right? Mm -hmm. If they're still able to drive the revenue that they they need um, out of this approach, then then I think they'll do it. Um, now, it, by no means am I saying Oracle shouldn't be auditing anyone. <laughs> they've, they've spent a lot of money developing these. They should get paid and, and whatever they choose to charge. Um, it, that's their prerogative. Um, customers should definitely pay. Um, be, customers should be able to understand what the cost will be and then make a decision on whether they want to use it or not. Yeah. Um, but uh, will Oracle, you know, make a change like Microsoft did and, and kind of come out with uh, you know, Microsoft's version was this software assurance that, that approached virtualization and tried to monetize it. Um, Oracle could do it. You know, we've been, we've been doing this for a long time. Everybody talks about how it might happen um, and, and they haven't yet. So, uh, I, I mean, I think Mike and I have, have built a business around it not happening anytime soon, but it definitely could. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Thank you. I, yeah, I, I, I think, yeah, as you say, it will be interesting to see how it goes over the next 18 months, two years with their revenue. I um, mean, I remember looking back at um, what it was like sort of 2009, 2010. Um, yeah, that really kick-started in many ways the the compliance focus of um, IT asset management as, a, as an industry because everybody went through bad experiences back then with, with, mm -hmm. with their software vendors. So um be interesting to see what happens coming out of this shock to the system? You know, I just, you just got me thinking one thing and I'll just end on this. One of the things that you have to be careful of is you have to pay attention to the changes. So for example, Oracle's now trying to put through a new set of Oracle terms and conditions that requires you to run the Oracle audit script. Yep. The problem with the Oracle audit script is it looks at information that it doesn't need for the audit it learns way too much about your environment that's really, frankly, none of their business and one could argue is a security risk. And then that script is sent outside the country to be analyzed. So in, in my understanding is it goes to Romania, not knocking Romania, but I would not be comfortable with my company's corporate infrastructure data being sent to any outside country to be analyzed. And so you really have to pay attention to the changes because over time, a lot of these changes aren't in the customer's best interests. And it's just unfair to expect an internal IT staff to keep up with all this. Yeah, yeah, th th that's, that's always been the problem because um, you know, typically Oracle may go to their contact in the business, which will be an, no, a technical, no, a, a DBA, quite frankly. Um, and in those cases, you know, a DBA isn't thinking about licensing. A DBA is thinking about keeping their environment running right that's 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 their that's their whole reason for being so it's quite easy for those things to happen inadvertently and um end up causing a 
a big compliance headache and also yes a very much a security headache i, I think the fact that um uh no data is heading out of the country in your case heading over to romania is, is, is a big deal it's even a big deal here here in the eu um you know romania is part of the eu but um you know, i'm not sure many organizations necessarily realize that that's what's happening with their, with their oracle scripts uh, thank you both for that um um very interesting um, discussion around the future for Oracle. Will they end up becoming cuddly and friendly like some of these other, other vendors or will they carry on being Oracle? We shall wait and see. Um, thank you for your time, Dean. Thank you, Mike. Um, it's been a pleasure speaking to you and um, keep looking out for our Oracle content on the ITAM review. We have a whole bunch of stuff coming along. We did an article um, a couple of months back now with um, Licensed Fortress around managing complex environments and the fact that an oracle an oracle environment is by very its very nature incredibly complex and what's the best way of approaching that so take a look at that article and uh hope you're well and we'll speak to you soon